Now let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And I would ask that you would stand with me as we read two verses, verses 14 and 15. John 3, 14 and 15. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to his, our hearts. Praise God. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for the joy that we are right now experiencing and seeing each other and seeing each other face to face. Lord, you in your sovereign will have paused the whole world with COVID-19. It is your doing. Your church, your believers, uh, your children recognize this and we humble ourselves before your mighty hand. Some of us have had deaths because of COVID-19, such as my brother who's passed away. We do not blame you for this, Lord. No, absolutely not. You're a good God. You're a wise God. You're a holy God. And everything you do is right and perfect. We are the ones that deserve judgment. We're the ones who sin. We are the ones that slander your name. We've sided with the enemy. But in your infinite mercy, you have sent your beloved son. Not because we asked you to. And he did the unthinkable. He took our sins upon himself. We don't know how long this thing will last. We ask it. Lord, the cases will just be brought down to zero. So that we can continue meeting as a church this way. But if in your infinite mercy you wish and you desire... This thing would continue, and we'll give you glory nonetheless. We will look forward to seeing each other in person once again. We will continue to pray one for another. We will continue to minister one to another. And we will continue serving those who are weak amongst us, those who are elderly, those who are sick. Give us grace to do that. We haven't done a great job at that throughout COVID-19. Most of us, Lord, prefer to stay in our own respective homes. Lord, I pray that you would give some of us the boldness, the joy, the fearlessness to minister to those who are too weak, too discouraged, even to pick up a phone. Lord, thank you for those who called. Thank you for those who sent out cards. Thank you for those who received groceries. Thank you for those who received financial aid. Thank you for those who thought of others. Thank you for those who went out of their way. Thank you for those who picked people up. Thank you for everyone who's prayed for the sick, Thank you for the work of God in the midst of this season. You used us regardless, in spite of our weaknesses. And you did it all to the glory of your Son. And now today we are gathered to remember your death, Lord. To remember your resurrection and the triumph of all triumphs. The greatest day in the history of mankind. This is your day. And we are going to rejoice in your day. We're going to give you glory and thank you all together as a church. Thank you for bringing your people out to be one in your presence, to sing, to seek your face, to call on your name, to express our devotion and love to you because there is no God like our God. There is no one who loves us like he loves us. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity we thank you for your precious word that we're going to meditate together and we're going to glean from. For the Holy Spirit who will open our eyes and open our ears to see and to hear from our beloved Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, beloved. The passage we just read happened during a conversation that Jesus had with a man who didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Why didn't he want to be seen with Jesus? Jesus was a controversial figure. He would upset the norms. He said things that 
The ruling class did not like. And this man was a member of the ruling class. His name, Nicodemus. Have you ever thought of calling your name, your son's name, Nicodemus? Those of you who are called Nick, that's pretty close. Nicodemus came to see Jesus by night. He admired him, but didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Think about that. Right now, Nicodemus is in heaven, and they're saying they're speaking about that again. They're speaking about that again. He was sympathetic to Jesus. And at times, he intervened for Jesus later on and for the church. But he never actually sided with Jesus 100%. He never picked up his cross, so to speak. And during the course of that conversation, Jesus speaks about the new birth. How those who are foreknown by God, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, called by Him, then justified by Him, and then glorified by Him, cannot do that unless they are born again. To enter the kingdom of God, you need to have the new birth. Nicodemus was floored. He goes, what do you mean? I am part of the kingdom. You know who you're speaking to. I'm la creme de la creme of Israel. Israel is the kingdom. I am part of the kingdom. And Jesus said, no. If you are not born again, you will not see the kingdom, much less enter the kingdom. Nicodemus couldn't understand. And then the Lord continues his conversation and he reveals one more thing about himself this time. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So he's going back in time to the days of Moses. So the Son of Man, that's himself, that's Jesus, must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So he's telling him, the one who's speaking to you is going to be lifted up. And you must believe in him to have eternal life. So he tells him, one, you are not part of the kingdom. Two, you don't have eternal life. Wow. La creme de la creme. Who's saying this? Jesus. Jesus is saying this to the most upright man, the most esteemed man in Israel or in, amongst the people of Israel because Israel was not a nation at the time. So to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to go back in time. You say, but Jesus lived back in time at that moment. Yes, we need to go further back in time, to the days of Moses. And uh, we'll read about when God brought the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and then parked them at Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai. Now, up to now, God has been very gracious with his people. He punished Egypt with ten specific plagues, the last being the worst, the death of the firstborn. And while God's people left Egypt, they were burying their dead and crying. And they were saying, please, just leave, get out of here. Because they saw Israel as a curse for them. And Israel said, sure, can I have some of your gold? Of course, take my gold. Can I have your cow? Yes, take my cow. And the Egyptians just loaded them with riches. And the people of God left. And they were all happy. Shortly after, as they were traveling towards the Red Sea, there's the sea before them, the army behind them, and, and the people are panicking, but God is gracious. He says, Moses, don't worry about it. 
And he brings up a barrier so that the Egyptians could not cross this barrier of cloud and, and, and just a, a wall of darkness. So they couldn't cross it. They waited. And God says, don't worry. God is not upset with them. God is not. He's just a beneficent, a, a, a benefactor, fully gracious with them. They're complaining. We're going to die. We're going to die. No, no, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And then finally, God tells us, Moses, raise your staff and the sea will part. And the sea parted. And they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They say, wow, the waters are like a wall. Like a wall. And they crossed. And as, after they crossed, the, the army tried to cross, the Egyptian army. And the waters came down on this army and just drowned them all. And it says that the people saw and believed God, and they began to sing, and they praised God. See, up to now, God was just gracious with his people. God was just, don't worry about it. I'm taking care of it. Don't worry about it. I'm taking care of it. There's darkness in Egypt when there was the plagues. Don't worry about it. Not in Goshen where the Israelites were living. There are flies everywhere. Don't worry about it. Not in Goshen. Nothing in Goshen. Frogs everywhere. Don't worry about it. Not in Goshen. Nothing happens to them. God is just good. One act of goodness and another act of goodness and another act of goodness. God is just good. God is blessing them. God loves them. They feel protected. They feel loved. They're happy. And then he brings them to the mountain. God changes. God changes at the mountain. Things change. And I'm sure they must have said, you know what, I wish I was back in Egypt like a slave. Because this is what happens at the mountain. Exodus 19 from verse 10. God tells Moses, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. What happened to God? He is so good. Now what happened to him? Whether beast or man, he shall not live. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders, lightning, thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. And it just kept growing and growing. And the people were terrified. It says, oh, Lord, we're not the Egyptians. They're dead. They're back there. Remember us. We are yours. Why are you doing this? So all the people in the camp trembled. The first time they trembled. They trembled before because of Egypt. Because of Pharaoh. They were afraid of man. But now they are afraid of God. They're afraid of God. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Imagine that. Let me introduce you to God. The one who brought you out of Egypt, the one who protected you all this time, the one who opened the Red Sea, the one who provided you with all you needed up to now. Let me introduce you to him. And they're shaking. They're terrified. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. Imagine this blasting trumpet, and the people are terrified. The children are shaking. There's no joy, there's no song, there's nothing. There's terror. And Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. This was the God they did not know. They knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob vaguely. That God had made a promise that he was going to give them a land. 
And every day they would pray as they were beaten by the, the taskmasters, the Egyptian taskmasters, whipping them over and over and saying, God, have mercy, God of Abraham. They didn't know who this God was. And finally when Moses comes on the scene and things happen, wow, they say, now this is God. Yep, he's our God. He's with us. And yes, he was. And everything was really wonderful. What a honeymoon they had with him until they're brought to the Mount Sinai. And then they're afraid. They're so afraid, they say, please, Moses, you speak to him. We don't understand what's going on. We'll go back to our tents. We'll continue making our piñatas or whatever else they were making. We'll continue baking and sewing. And you tell us everything afterwards because we just cannot handle all of this. We just can't. Who could blame them? Who could blame them? I would have done the same. You would have done the same. All of us. We don't understand how Moses handled it. God's grace sustained Moses because Moses was terrified as well. You see, God is good, but God is holy. God showers us, uh, showers us with loving kindness every single moment of the day. There is nothing good that is random. You woke up this morning. Your heart beat it throughout the night, not because you asked, but because God sustained you. God is good. Oh, how we think otherwise. I know I've done that many times myself and I've had to confess it. God is holy. God is pure. God is so pure that the angels themselves cannot behold the purity of God. And they themselves are sinless. Think about that. I'm always surprised at how lightly we take sin. How lightly we take sin. I've been asking God to forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me. You are a good God. You are a holy God. But I take sin lightly. Lightly! How many of us know the Ten Commandments? Ten. Ten commandments. By heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it will be embarrassing. Yet we know lyrics of songs that mean nothing. We know details about actors that are nothing. Mere dust. We know details of stocks that are nothing. And yet when it comes to this most holy God, we don't even know his ten commandments. That's how lightly we take his word. That's how lightly we take his holiness. You shall have no other gods before me. You say, well, I never have any other gods. Don't be so quick. Money is the biggest rival to the Lord God most high. And isn't it true that oftentimes we have bowed before this God called mammon. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not bow down before them. No image of anything in heaven and of anything on earth, anything in the water. You say, but I've never had an idol. Calvin would say, the heart is an idol factory. How many times have we said, I don't believe in a God you go ahead and add whatever. I don't believe in a God that will send people to hell, for example. That is an idol. You are no, have no right to make a God after your understanding. God reveals himself. We listen and obey. Third commandment, you shall not take my name in vain. How often have we said, oh my God. As if that's okay. And we think, oh no, I'm not taking God's name in vain. Fourth commandment. You shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. 
For in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh, he rested. If it was up to me, I would have never added that commandment in the Ten Commandments because I see no way that that is so superior. But God's wisdom is greater than ours because we are naturally workaholics. And we work and work and we reluctantly meet to worship him, to bless him, to pray together, to sing together. We look forward to everything else, but not to meeting with God's people. Fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Can anyone here say, I've always honored my father and my mother. Always. Sixth commandment, you shall not kill. You say, but I've never done that. I'd be in prison if I would have done that. But Jesus explains that commandment. If you hate your brother in your heart, you've already murdered. I mean, there's a lot of murderers just walking around. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. But Jesus says, if you lust after another woman who is not your wife, you've committed adultery. Therefore, we've fallen there as well. You shall not steal. We haven't fudged numbers when declaring our income taxes. Have we paid our employees correctly? Are we sure we can stand before God and say, I've never stolen? Have we given God his due when it comes to giving to the people of God who are in need? Have we done that? Then after that, it says, you shall not bear false witness or you shall not slander. What does it mean to slander? It means to speak ill of someone. Just go on the internet, how often there are trollers and we just speak ill of everyone. Anyone who doesn't agree with us, we speak ill of them. We slander people. And God is beholding all this with his eyes of purity. Now tell me, should he be giving sunlight every day? Should he be giving us the rain? Should he be giving us the harvest? Should our hearts continue to beat? Should we continue to have sight? Should we continue to have children? Should we continue to live? Should we? You shall not covet the tenth, the worst of them all. Oh, I wish I had this, and I wish I had that, and I wish I had his house, I wish I had his car, I wish I had children because I don't have any, and I wish I had this and that, and we add and add because we are not happy with what God has given us. Ten commandments. You see, when God was speaking these words, every one of them heard it from the youngest to the oldest. That God was speaking. His words were coined into the camp. And the people were terrified. Because as every word was being uttered, they realized they were guilty. They were guilty. They were guilty. And they deserved to die. And the question came to them, why are we not dead? Why are we not dead? Why? You ask yourself that question. Oh, someone must have said in those days, and we say it today, I, I thought God loves us. God loves us. Why, why is this happening? God loves us. Why is he doing this? Because God is communicating, I'm not only a God of love, I'm also a holy God. A holy God. He wants us to know that. So the law is broken. Let me tell you one instance where the law was broken, what God did. Stories found in Numbers 21, verse 4. Open your Bibles to that. It's a remarkable story. Numbers 21. Here's the people of Israel. They're in the wilderness. And what they did, you and I would have done. I want you to understand this. This is not something that's a horrific sin. 
I want you to understand how holy God is. Numbers 21 verse 4. It says they, the people of Israel, they're in the wilderness. Moses is their leader. There's a pillar of fire by night. So to keep them warm, there's a cloud by day to shelter them from the hot, scorching sun. And this, this is what happens. They travel from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. They had asked Edom, please give us some water. We'll pay for it. Because they had enough money. The Egyptians had given them money, silver, gold, and everything. Edom said, no, you're not coming through. Go around. And they were upset, but they had no choice. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses. That's all they did. Look at, listen to what they said. Why have you brought us out, out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food, the manna. And it says in verse 6, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses, and they had a change of mind right away. We get it, we get it. Listen, Moses, please forgive us. Just tell God to remove all the snakes. Thousands of snakes just slithering everywhere, biting children, women, grandmothers, fathers, everyone being bitten. And they're saying, what's going on? What's going on? Where did these snakes? Just like God sent the frogs, just as he sent the, the flies, he sent snakes, venomous snakes. Thousands died. And now they said, we sinned. We understand. Well, what sin is that? What sin is that in the Ten Commandments? What sin is it? It's not coveting, though it is in part because they wanted something they didn't have. All they had to say is, Moses, we're just thirsty. God is taking care of us all this way. We trust him. If you want us to feel thirst, we understand what thirst is now. We get it. If you want us to just be content with the manna, we're going to be content. Can you just give us some water? That's all they had to say. And God would have given them rivers flowing everywhere. Because they said these words. They spoke against God and against Moses and said what? You have brought us to die. They're saying to God, you want us to die. Slander. Slander. It's the ninth commandment. And because God's law says whoever sins is going to die, God says these are the consequences. You're going to die. Snakes come everywhere. And they're dying by the droves. Imagine a baby being bitten and that's your daughter, boom, dead. Your wife is standing next to you. She's bitten, dead. You're terrified. How do you handle this? What do you do? You realize, I've slandered God. I've slandered his servant, Moses. I've spoken ill of them. I've said a lie. I believe the enemy who told me that God wants me dead. Just like Adam and Eve believed that God wanted Adam and Eve lower. God doesn't want you to be like him. No, he doesn't want that. Because you're going to be like God if you eat the forbidden fruit. We always believe Satan. That's our sin nature. It's called original sin. It causes us to do that. And they realize it. And they said, take the snakes away. Whatever. Tell us what to do. Please. We can't catch them. We can't stop them. Please, Moses. And so Moses turns to God and says, please, tell me what to do. Just take them away. God says, no, they're not going away. You would expect, right? God took the frogs away. God took the flies away. God took lice away. God took everything away. But why not? Why not? I want you to do something. I want you to make a snake out of bronze. Wrap it around the pole. Lift it high, really high. Anyone who looks at that snake, anyone who looks at that snake will survive. Moses, you sure you want me to do that? We're telling people no images. No, Moses. They're looking. They're not worshiping. 
do it. So Moses, as quickly as possible, gets his best men. Make the snake now, bronze, quickly. So they went and hammered this thing. How long it took? We don't know. Maybe up to an hour. People were dying. And finally, they erect this pole right up high. And he said to everybody, if you're bitten, look at the snake. Remember, there are two million people here. There's a city of Montreal. Look. And so the Levites are repeating the words, look at the snake. The priests are repeating the words, look at the snake. People are repeating the words, look at the snake. Look at the snake. Look at the snake. Imagine your wife, she's at her last breath, and you take her face and you point it to the snake. Honey, look, look at the snake. And with the last strength she has, she opens her eyelids and she looks at the snake and boom, she's alive. You take your child that is at his last breath, you pick him up and you say, son, look, look at the snake, look at the snake. And then here's your little boy, he's about to die and all of a sudden, he's alive. That was happening all around the camp. God didn't take away the snakes because the snakes were the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. Here's the question, church. Here's the question, church. Why are we not dead? Why are we not dead? Ask yourself that. Every morning when you wake up, every time you eat your meal, every time you walk outside, why are we not dead? Why? Because I'm a good person. You really think so? Please, would you stand up, the good person that's amongst us? Please. I'm not. I know the greatest sinner in this place. It's me. There is no good person. Jesus said it clearly. Why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. No one is good. God is good. What a moment that was. Look at the snake. Look at the snake. So then here Jesus says these words to Nicodemus. Now we go to the Nicodemus. He says, just like Moses raised the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He compares himself to a snake. Have you ever said, oh Jesus, thank you for being my snake? Have you ever said that? Because that's exactly what Jesus became. He became a snake. A snake. See, how did he become a snake? Why does he compare himself with a snake? That makes absolutely no sense. Jesus was such a wonderful teacher. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He walked on water. He multiplied the bread. Why would Jesus be called a snake? We undermine sin. We minimize it. My goodness, how we do this. God have mercy on us. Here's the way we downplay sin. We think sin is, well, we're, you know, no one's perfect. Every one of us sins. You know, it's okay. We all sin, right? We, we say a lie. We, we think some lustful thoughts. And, oh, please forgive us, God. You know, and it's okay. It's okay. We downplay sin. You know, when David sinned, he didn't say these words until one year after he committed the atrocity, the dastardly act of taking someone's wife and then orchestrating her husband's murder. This great poet, this man of God, this psalmist, this warrior, this beloved king, this servant of the Most High God, the one God said, I will build your house. That means Jesus was going to come as a son of David. Not the son of Abraham, not the son of... Samuel, the son of David. And he does something awful, atrocious. You read that story? We should be terrified. And then David says this, 
In Psalm 51, against you only, against you only, against you only, against you only have I sinned. Yes, he sinned against Uriah. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned against the people of the nation that he, of which he was king. Yes, he sinned against the people that were beloved of him, his own family. He sinned against them. But most importantly, he sinned against God. And he, can you explain that? How someone so blessed by God does something so horrific. We don't understand that we can do the same thing. Now, everyone, you know, we're all, everybody, we're not, we're not perfect. That's okay. God understands. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. He does not ever think that. And then we soften up God. Well, God, you know, God, he's a good God. You know, he's just very good and he, he's going to just, <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. When we're in heaven, we're all going to go there. I asked someone this question the other day. Are you going to heaven? I don't know. Are you, what kind of a person are you? I'm a good person. Deep down, I'm a really good person. That's wonderful. Then you should go to heaven. I said, what about you? I'm a sinner, deserving of hell, I said. I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven. It really confused them. We soften God up. We create this senile grandfather image of God who will, it just, it's okay, you know, what can you do? We, I understand. What can they do? No, we've been created in his image and we have a moral responsibility and we need to answer to God. And so we think that people will not end up in hell. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and see how he saw himself such a sinner and he was a prophet. And then we seek to atone for our sins. These are the three ways, right? The first is that we downplay our sinfulness, we soften up God, we make him like a senile grandfather, or three, we atone for our sins. How do we atone for our sins? We do a whole bunch of good works. We just do good works. Okay, God's going to be happy. I'm going to do this. Imagine that day in the camp while the snakes were biting. One person would have gone up. I know what to do. I'm going to go to the tabernacle and I'm just going to sweep everywhere. I'm just going to sweep. <laughs> they would have died sweeping. Imagine someone said, I know what to do. I'm going to go and offer a sacrifice right now because this is God loves sacrifice. I'm going to put a goat right here I'm going to, and I'll just pray. He would have died. Look to the snake. That's all you got to do. Look. We cannot atone for our sins with our good deeds, with penance, with sacrifice, by saying that our father, Martin Luther, did that. He would whip himself as a priest every single week. Whip and whip and whip because he saw his sinfulness and he tried to atone for his own sins by doing penance, by doing good works. And he never felt happy. And he saw himself as a vile sinner. And they would tell him, Luther, your conscience is just too sensitive. Take it easy. He goes, no, you don't realize how holy God is. He, Luther understood God's holiness. He didn't understand God's grace. He didn't understand God's grace. You cannot soften sin. God will not forget. He will hold you accountable. You must not think for a moment that your penance Doing good deeds will solve your problem. There's only one solution. You have to look at the snake. You have to look at the snake. Now, who's the snake? Jesus said, as Moses. That's a simile when you read the word as or like. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. This is what God did. God made his only beloved son as hideous as a snake. That's what he did. Because you and I could never, ever, ever survive the consequences of our sin. We couldn't. There's no way. He is holy. He is loving. But we're going to pay. We're going to pay. That's the thing. That's the message. The Bible says God's wrath is real. He is indignant against every single person. Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God rests on mankind. Because we deserve to die. We deserve to go to hell. Unless 
we look at the snake. We look at Jesus Christ. There should be a far greater amen than that. This is your only hope. There is nothing else apart from this. You don't believe in this, you will perish. You say, but is that just too good of a news? I mean, it's all I got to do is look. That's what you have to do is look in faith. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God, not because you asked him, not because I put in a special request, God made him who knew no sin, sinless, holy, the only one that God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He never said that about anyone else. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be like a snake, to be hideous, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is amazing news. That is news worth jumping for. That is news that keeps me awake at night. That is news that makes me read this Bible over and over. That is good news. Good news. God took his beloved son, holy, majestic, glorious, and in the presence of his angels, strips him of his rights, his majesty, his beauty, his glory, strips him, and then sends him down, down, down into this sin-infested world. Would I have done that? No. Would you have done that? No. So many children in our midst. Who would give up his son for anyone? I wouldn't even give up my son for my wife as much as I love my wife. My wife tells me all the time, if it's between me and my kids, you let my kids live and you let me die. Who would do such a thing? I am flabbergasted at the wisdom, the power, the holiness, the love of God. For him to do something like this, you will go down. You will live a sinless life, perfect, never once sinning, and then you will be treated as the worst sinner on the face of the earth. You will become like a snake. And then as you hang on that cross, I will pour my wrath that everyone deserves. I will pour it on you. My fury will come on you. I will crush you. Why would God do such a thing? I deserve to be crushed. Not the beloved, holy, sinless son of God. Not him. I. But we think, no, we're good people. We're just really good people. We really are. When, when we stand before God, yep, God is going to look at us. What, what can't I do without you? I mean, you're just so amazing. Please, just walk right in. We've believed a lie. We've believed a lie. And why did God do this? Because you're amazing. Yeah, that's the reason why. You are Amazing. We're vile, we're wretched, we're sinful. We are wicked to the core. Why did God do it? Why did God do it? Why did God do it? Why does he do this? I don't understand. I don't know why. When we'll stand before him one day, we will ask, why did you do it? Why did you smear your son with my sins, my slander, my covetousness, my hatred, my adultery, my idolatry. Why, with my disobedience, with my filth, why did you take all of that and pour it on your son? Why? Why did he take the consequences of my sin? I deserve to die. That's going to be our theme and our question for all eternity. All eternity. We're going to keep saying to you, why? 
I don't understand. Why? I don't get it. Why? I don't get it. Then it goes on. Not only does he take our sin and place it on his beloved son, it says that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a beautiful statement. That's a beautiful statement. In other words, God doesn't want us to keep sinning. While we wait for his return, while we wait for the hour of our death, he doesn't want to keep us, doesn't want us to just keep sinning. He wants us to be aware of the awfulness of sin. He wants us to look at the snake, the one who was raised up as a snake, the lamb of God who died for us. And then he says, not only will I take away the penalty that you deserve, the consequences of your sin is death, banishment from my presence, eternal damnation, because I am a God of infinity, and every sin committed against an infinite God is of infinite value. So only someone of infinite value could pay the price. And that's Jesus, no angel, because an angel is not of infinite value. No one. You could not even pay for yourself. You'd pay for yourself, it meant you going to hell, period. That's what you deserve. And so God sends his beloved son. And right from the very start, he is hated. To the very end, hated. Hated! What did he do? Because that's how evil we are in our hearts. And with these evil hands and this evil heart, we hammered the Son of God as God watched and held back his anger. And then when he's alone on that cross, he pours his wrath and he pours it and he pours it. And that's when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, no one should ever say, where is God? Why is God doing this to me? That is slander. Because we deserve death. We should say nothing. You know what we should say when we get it? Whatever we get, God has given, God has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. Nothing more. Stop. Don't go any further. How many times I said, Lord, why? I, I don't understand. Why is this happening? And why? Why? I've had to repent of that. And I invite you, Church of Christ, repent of it. And be grateful every single moment because God went beyond what you ever expected. Beyond and beyond by giving up his beloved, holy, sinless, wonderful, majestic, glorious son of God for vile sinners like me. And then he says, this is another thing I'm going to do. I'm going to take the righteousness of my son that holy living that he completed throughout the 30 years, he never sinned, he never did anything to displease me. He just did everything perfectly, wonderfully. I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it on you. So that when I look at you, I see my son's holiness. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing every single day. This is worth talking about. This is worth singing about. This is worth jumping for. This and only this. We should be sharing it with every single soul we meet. We should be talking about this to everyone. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more important. COVID-19 is nothing compared to this. This is the story of stories. Why? Why? I don't know why. Why would a holy God love us so? Why would he send his only son and then to be mistreated and humiliated, naked, hanging on the cross with blood flowing from his brow to the very sole of his feet? Why? Why have you forsaken me? I am holy. I am sinless. I don't deserve this. You and I deserve that. Not him. Not him. Not him. Not him. 
And if for a moment you think you deserve good things in your life, repent. Repent now. Repent. You deserve death. You deserve banishment. You deserve hell. But God in his infinite mercy decided to put his son through the worst humiliating kind of death and absorb the wrath of God for us. For us. And then clothes us in his righteousness. I say, but I'm not righteous. I believe in this message. I believe. I've looked to the Lamb of God. I see the hideousness of my sin on him. I understand he took the consequences of my sin. I look, but I fall. I fall here and I fall there and I keep falling. You need to believe the message, the word. Not believe in your feelings. It's not what you feel. It's what the word of God says. And if you believe in this truth, the Holy Spirit will just make it alive in you. As a Christian, God did not save you so that you could just keep sinning over and over. And I remember there was a time in my life I kept sinning over and over. I said, Lord, I don't understand it. I believe in this message of grace. I believe in it. But there were so much layers of pride in my life that God had to strip, then strip, and then strip because he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the amazing news. That's the amazing news. What an amazing God we serve. What an amazing God. I can go on and on, I can't. I must not. Beloved, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of you. We do not comprehend your holiness. We do not comp comprehend your love. We do not comprehend your anger towards sin. We don't understand it. Only you could open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our, our, hearts, our hearts to receive the message of the gospel. Please have mercy. Please have mercy. Have mercy on your people for your name's sake. You did the unthinkable. You gave up your beloved son. God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinner, Christ died for us. What an amazing God you are. What an amazing God. And now that we are living at a time like this, just before you are coming back to take your church, I pray, you would lead us to live lives of godliness so that righteousness of God in Christ will not be something only that we read in scripture but that we would live every single day as your people that we like Paul can say I've been crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life I now live I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Lord I pray that that would be our prayer every single day. Holy Spirit, remind us. Remind us of this every single day because in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to even read this, your beautiful word. We don't have the desire unless you give it to us. And so we pray, command what you will, O holy God, and grant what you command. Grant it. Have mercy on your church so we would walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray.